despite the fact that it's my podcast and like I know who I am and why I'm here, I have to write it in the script or else <laughs> I can't say it right, which I've not done. But I'm going to try and do it like raw dog. It's like when you're like ordering something and you're like, I actually have to see it in the menu for me to be able to verbally mm-hmm. tell you I want a cheeseburger. Yeah, literally. <laughs> Question for you. Have you ever gotten a thing from Subway that is not like your own creation? Have you ever gotten like a menu item at Subway? So I actually don't eat at Subway very much just because like a so This isn't even without... for the podcast. I just had this question. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have a feeling you actually have a point to asking no, me, but I'm... No, I genuinely well, don't. I found that like, you know, sandwiches without meat is just kind of like a salad with bread. Like it's really not that interesting. Mm. So I don't really go to like Subway or Jimmy John's or okay other sandwich place. Hey everyone, this is Busted Business Bureau. I'm Christian. <laughs> <laughs> This podcast is produced by The Lincoln Lodge. If you like this podcast, you can go to patreon.com slash bustedbizbureau where you can donate. This is the final episode of season four, so you'll get like updates. And I'm going to make, I'm holding myself to it, Patreon-exclusive content, which I've literally never done. <laughs> People are just kind enough to support me anyway, and like they vote on episode topics and whatever. Um, right now, we have a poll that's at 50-50, so if I can get a couple more patrons to <laughs> vote on it, that's Literally just one more. Like, <laughs> literally one. <laughs> want to be the deciding vote this right. is your moment <laughs> um if you like the lincoln lodge it's a non-profit comedy theater you can go to lincolnlodge.com slash donation if you'd like to keep supporting the arts and uh, that's that so yeah busted business bureau so the episode has nothing to do with subway this is about hertz the rental car corporation <laughs> i just saw a subway commercial today and like i wanted to ask you about it because i was like menu options at subway i forgot those existed do you always build your own yeah it's kind of like if there are menu options at like chipotle Right. I right. wouldn't get them. You're right. You're there to build your own damn thing. <laughs> I, I appreciate the suggestion, but I was going to, you know, sort of freeball it. Yeah, but there are some places you shouldn't build your own. Like, have you ever been to Left Coast, like right on Lincoln? Yes. Yeah, so you can build your own smoothie. Oh, um, that sounds like a disaster. It really, really can be very quickly. Like, <laughs> at this case, you should choose the menu options. <laughs> Leave it to the professionals. Right. <laughs> um, the thing that I wanted to ask you is, in 1990. One. Hit it with me. Uh, have you ever seen the TV show Seinfeld? Yes and no. Yeah. I've seen it like on. Right. I, you've seen clips online because you were born after the year 1990. What, were yeah. you born 98 or 97? I was born 97. Either way, I don't remember 9-11, so I'm with you. I did not watch <laughs> Seinfeld. <laughs> In 1991, Seinfeld debuted this episode called The Alternate Side. Season 3, episode 11, the plot involves Jerry and Elaine attempting to pick up a car that they've rented. They had a reservation for a mid-sized van, and the agent says that they only have a compact car left. It's like a pretty iconic scene. I For some fucking reason, and pasted the dialogue into my script. So I will read you the dialogue. Please. Jerry. Wait, I'm going to do my best Seinfeld, I guess. Yeah. Oh, I understand. <laughs> I'm going to laugh no matter what you do because I really want to. <laughs> he says, do you have a reservation? The, the car agent is like, we have your reservation. We just ran out of cars. But the reservation keeps the car here. That's why you have the reservation. <laughs> the car agent says, I think I know why you have reservations. And Jerry, this is like the iconic part. He's like, I don't think you do. <laughs> you see, you know how to tank the reservation. You just don't know how to hold the reservation. And, he, and that's the most important part of the reservation, the holding. Anybody could just take them. That's like how the scene goes or whatever. It's, it's Honestly, I like it. I'm saying it like I don't like it, but I like it. Um, 
since the 90s, people have been facing this problem of like, you go to the rental car company and then the car is simply not there. And when I saw that scene and found out that it took place in 1991, I was like, holy shit, like, I know I've never rented a car successfully. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't realize everybody had this problem. Tell me your baseline knowledge going in. Have you ever rented a car? Have you ever um, been on a trip where somebody else has rented a car? Did it go well? Why or why not? Um, so yes, but I use like Zipcar, oh. um, where you can like unlock it on your app. Now I did have a separate issue where I couldn't figure out how to get into the car because you have to do it with the app. You don't actually get a key. Yeah. Um, so that took a while. I have rented a car actually, but it's always been in like the emergency. Yeah. We don't have a car and like our car broke down. So it hasn't been like a reservation to right. rental situation. Okay. I'm going to read you a couple of like disparate quotes. This is from an ABC News article in 2016. I, literally, this is just like random cherry picking from the internet. Quote, we got to the Orlando airport at 10.30 p.m. We were told they did not have a minivan for us, which they had reserved one. Their employee told me to find another minivan elsewhere and to submit my receipts for a reimbursement. After three hours of searching, we found one at an un- another rental company for $1,146. I was floored at the cost, but we didn't have a choice. It was 2 a.m. and we were traveling with children. As soon as I was able to get a computer, I emailed the, like, this is a random, like, rent-a-car place. They responded that they were sorry for my troubles, but I should not have been told that I would get a refund. They offered me $100 credit towards my next reservation. No! (laughs) Oh my gosh. Want to hear a Forbes article from 2016? Please. Mm -hmm. I also just want to point out that the fact that it was in Seinfeld, like, shows that it was societally ubiquitous enough that it happened that they could make this into a sitcom and get laughs. Right. Because it's like, oh, the whole, like, premise of Seinfeld is, like, normal people doing, like, normal shit. And it's like, oh, we've all been there, you know? Yeah. And it's like... How have we all been in this situation? It's like going to a restaurant and being like, I would like to have food. And they're like, mm, sorry, we don't have any. I used to work at Clark's on Belmont. Mm-hmm. Um, did you ever oh, go? Like throwback. Yeah, I do remember Clark's. Right. I worked 11 p.m. to 7 a.m. And we ran out of eggs frequently. And we were like an American diner. <laughs> <laughs> this Forbes article from 2016 is titled, Rental Cars Now Safer Due to New Federal Law. Here's the first sentence. Rental car agencies must now fix all open safety defects before renting out vehicles to consumers, according to new federal legislation. I'm sorry, that wasn't... (laughs) (laughs) It's like the same thing I did, which is... Now? Yeah, no, now... The new regulation, effective June 1st, 2016, now prohibits any company or dealer with fleets greater than 35 to rent unrepaired recalled vehicles. It also extends the recall authority to cover rental car companies for the first time, giving the safety agency, like a federal safety agency, power to investigate and punish violators. The legislation, introduced in 2011, so not passed until 2016, was championed by the family of Rachel and Jacqueline Houck, sisters who were killed in 2004 in a rental vehicle that was under a safety recall but was not repaired. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Um, so that was the second piece where I was like, interesting. <laughs> Here's the third, like this is my last one. This is from Bloomberg. Um, this one's a little bit less like doom and gloom, I guess. Quote, Kate Klonick walked up to a rental counter in Brooklyn the Sunday before Thanksgiving, and she was told she might not get the car she reserved for $414. She was on time, but there was a long line, and the attendant said most of those waiting that they wouldn't get cars. She said to most of those waiting they wouldn't get cars. I can read. When Klonick's partner called Hertz Global Holdings, Inc. to share the couple's predicament, he was told to go to a different location where another car was waiting for $1,800. 
Klonik got a really useful bit of intel from one of the Hertz employees. The agent said that her original rental may have been denied because that location was, quote, overbooked and they ran out of cars. That, quote, happens all the time, the agent told her. Customer service has no idea of our inventory and nobody ever picks up the phone at the desks. She was eventually offered a defective car with a nearly <laughs> empty gas tank, dirty cup holders, and pet hair on the back seat for $943. <gasps> she took it and she gave the agents a bottle of wine in gratitude. Because, you know, it's not their yeah, fault. Yeah, sure. From what I've gathered from, again, anecdotal online browsing, there is no data, like, point saying, like, this percent of car rentals aren't, you know, honored, whatever. Mind you, a lot of people do online um, lie for no reason, so, like, (laughs) I'm not calling any of this scientific, but it seems like an astonishingly high number of people have similar experiences in renting a car. Again, as emphasized in the Seinfeld episode. I know what you're thinking. Christian, I don't care. (laughs) (laughs) This is a problem that uh, nobody really cares about. Why are you talking about it on your podcast? And you know what? You're right. (laughs) (laughs) Therefore, my episodes recently have been very, like, systemic overviews of, like, whole industries and why are things like this and why are things like this. And I was trying to make that for rental car companies. But then I started looking into Hertz specifically, and I was like, Hertz just makes for a classic episode of this podcast. (laughs) It's managed funny and very badly. Um, It's got hilarious ups and downs, including a surprise guest that has appeared in this podcast many times. Um, And this is just going to be an episode that's a return to form. (laughs) We're just going to talk about the history of Hertz and why it's like a busted-ass business. Are you ready? I'm so ready. Also, I just want to point out, I was thinking about that first story and how the email, they apologized that she was told she was going to get a refund. Yeah. Not that they didn't have a car. Not that she had to pay so much with small children. They're like, I'm sorry you thought you were going to get your money back. That's going to be really disappointing when I go tell you to fuck yourself. Yeah. Like, that's pretty much how I interpreted that email. Right. <laughs> anyway, that's our tone. I'm ready for it. I've gotten, like, apologies that definitely don't address the root of the problem, you know? And I think they're hysterical. <laughs> I think it's because it happened recently that like it's fresh on my mind mm-hmm. where it's like I apologize like that I um that you felt this way or oh, whatever. I totally pulled that shit. You know, you <laughs> pulled that shit. I have pulled that shit, but it's usually just for friends mm. that or like friends could be a strong word, but like it's usually just for people that I'm like this is my way of not being a bitch. Like, this is my happy medium for both of us because I don't think you deserve an apology. Mm. But, you know, this will be smoother if we just move on. You know what you should do in those situations? Hmm. Just say nothing. Use you know, your face and just, like, look. <laughs> I heard recently, um, oh, I was reading this book called Pleasure Activism. Yes. Tenet would recommend. It's Beautiful. absolutely incredible. Um, but it talks about how silence is one of women's, like, best tools just because oh it's God. a way of, like, not putting yourself in the position of needing to express any, like, you know, unsavory emotion that could be taken in a wrong way in this patriarchal society. But also, you don't have to pretend to be polite and smile. You can just kind of be like, right. In an audio-only medium, that definitely translated. (laughs) (laughs) Let me do it one more time for the people in the back. (laughs) All right, we're ready. (laughs) I'm so sorry. This is one last tangent before I talk about Hertz. I am a bartender, famously. And there are a lot of instances where people will get, like, aggressive with me, right? Mm -hmm. Because when they're intoxicated, it heightens whatever emotion they're already feeling. And every single time, this has happened to me so many times, they will either, like, start apologizing for, like, you know, yelling at me before or whatever. And if you just stand there and you say nothing, like, it becomes 
a mirror for themselves. Mm. They want your validation and they want you to turn this into a smooth social experience. But if you just like stand there and like listen and say nothing, then it just like they fly off the handle. Then you can be like, well, okay, this wasn't about me. This was about you the whole time. <laughs> it also makes it so much easier when you like reflect on the situation or if it gets heightened. Cause I worked, um, I worked at a sports bar throughout college. Oh my God. Over the summers. It was like half restaurant, half bar. You could go to either side. Braver than, than the Marines. <laughs> I know. I worked as a cocktail waitress sometimes. Like, <laughs> I know. Oh it's like God. saying I was a French maid for a time. I think that's like a John Mulaney joke. But anyway, um, what was I talking about? <laughs> I don't remember. Oh, you were like a cocktail. Did you do the same thing? Like, oh, oh, with- oh, that like, you know, if it gets escalated or whatever, like you can't, the other person can't be like, well, you yelled at me too, or you did X, Y, Z. You're like, because right. I was literally silent. I was literally like, silent. I, there's nothing I could have. <laughs> yeah. I love that for us. <laughs> so. Time to talk about hurts. Hurts. Don't it. <laughs> Honestly, before you told me this was about like a car company, I literally thought there was a company like spelled like H-U-R-T-S mm. that I was like, I, it's already not a great business model, if I'm being <laughs> honest, unless it's like a BDSM type of place. Like this isn't going to work. An excellent one. The way that there are so many articles that like are like, so bad it hurts. <laughs> you know, or like whatever that use it as a pun. It's pretty funny. Um, let's talk about the history. Uh, so briefly, shall we? Hertz was founded in Chicago, Illinois, ow, ow. by a guy named Walter L. Jacobs in 1918. And as you can imagine, renting a car back then was a lot different than it is now because we don't have, like, most uh, rental car companies, for my understanding, uh, generate their business through airports when people are, like, oh, stranded yeah. somewhere, right? Like, there are some examples, like you, like, needing to emergency rent a car. And so there's, like, you know, brick and mortar locations in some spots, but mostly it's out of airports. Um, so, Back way back in the day when there's no airports or airplanes, it's kind of like a luxurious thing. It's like interesting that you can even have a car at all. Um, it's fun to drive around, and that's sort of like the business model of a rental car company. Like, it's renting it out to random people who maybe like either want to take a long trip or it's cool to drive around town or whatever. <laughs> you know, like it's not, it's different, obviously, which feels pedantic to say, but I don't care. Well, to be honest, I thought you were going to say it was different because most of the cars had like horses attached to the front. So, like, I'm glad you elaborated. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it started with like a fleet of Ford Model Ts. Um, it was like six of them or whatever that they would rent out. And then, you know, the business grows exponentially because it's pretty damn cool. And cars are not nearly as ubiquitous as they are now. Mm. So obviously there's like a market for it. The company manages to be successful and is purchased by John D. Hertz in 1923. It didn't start off as like Hertz. It was called oh. something else. I'm going to tell you a thing that I read on AmericanBusinessHistory.org. This is the most credible source I can get on this information, and I'm not a thousand percent sure it's true, (laughs) because it's been repeated online incorrectly many times. So take it with a grain of salt. John D. Hertz, again, the guy who bought Hertz in 1923, loved transportation in all forms. He was an innovator in, like, stoplights, rental cars, notably taxis. He owned the Yellow Cab, like, company or whatever. I'm sorry, he was the president of the Yellow Cab company, which is a huge precursor to taxis as we know them today. You want to know the final form of transportation that Hertz loved? Horses. <laughs> he and his wife loved thoroughbreds. And this is not the disputed thing. Like This is absolutely canon. They owned the winner of the 1928 Kentucky Derby and refused to sell him, even though like people were offering a lot of money for that horse. So this is the thing that American business history like um, spells out. This is the thing that I'm not sure is true or not. <laughs> but again, we have the context that he's really big in the taxi world, in the yellow cab world, and he loves horses. Poor guy. He made all horses like unemployed. <laughs> but he loved them. I just, OK, 
Okay, admittedly, I have a soft spot for horses right now because I'm a writer, and with all the chatbot stuff, I do feel like a horse outside of like Henry Ford's workshop. Like Whoa. that's how I feel right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm like, don't worry, nothing's gonna happen to your job. Anyway, so I'm sitting here being all sympathetic for the horses. He made all horses unemployed is the funniest fucking thing. He I've did. Heard he did. And life. I promise you they didn't get a pension. Like I just <laughs> like most American citizens. They didn't like <laughs> Anyway, I'm sorry. You were talking about history. I love horses. I used to ride them competitively. Did you know that? No, that's really bougie. I'm I'm sorry. I mean, that's really cool. No, I mean, it is really bougie. I used to ride them competitively. (laughs) Quote, by the late 1920s, taxi drivers were bombing the garages of their competitors. It got really intense in Chicago. The violence extended to the Hertz family. As the Associated Press reported, quote, Chicago, Illinois, October 17th, 1928, John Hertz, president of the Yellow Cab Company, reported to police today that his life had been threatened and he'd been warned that his grandchild would be kidnapped. Two weeks ago, Yellow Cab garages were bombed and racing stables of Hertz were burned, destroying 31 thoroughbred racehorses at a loss of $200,000. The trouble was described as an outgrowth of a taxi war after a checker driver was shot and killed. Oh, my gosh. His stables got firebombed, <laughs> and he lost so many horses. It's crazy because that's the type of shit you'd expect from like Al Capone's competitors, blah blah blah. Like not like taxis, right? Like I, I think I have to now do a taxi episode or whatever. It's like we get <laughs> horses getting firebombed. Like this is just uh, I, this entire episode is gonna be like this, where it's just like these tiny, interesting little anecdotes that are like, "Are you kidding me?" And then move, move on to the next thing. Honestly, I really want you to. I kind of want a West Side Story of the early taxi scene in Chicago. Like that's. I, what... I honestly think I might have to because it, it gets really, really violent and like intense, and it's all about. Fire- Fucking taxis. It really could be like a Romeo and Juliet situation. Whoa. <laughs> the thoroughbreds are in love, but owned by rival <laughs> cab companies. I love that it's Romeo and Juliet for horses for some reason. <laughs> Your mind is a It miracle. took a turn. I was like, <laughs> who would belong to the cab companies that they could be rival? It's sorry. Anyway. It's two unemployed horses. <laughs> So Hertz therefore sh- like sells all of his shares in the yellow cab company and is like, fuck it, I'm doing this rental car thing. Um, and that is like part of the reason why the business continues to grow because like he is putting more energy, shall we say, <laughs> into Hertz the company. And I could totally talk about the history between like 1923 and 1979, um, but I was already, I had already written eight pages by the time I got to this like little history section. So I'm sorry to completely skip over decades of history. Also, I was drunk when I was writing this. <laughs> um, so... Uh, this is where I'm going to do a little bit more industry talk before we get into like the 1980s. Okay. So uh, to, I guess, like address the gap between 1923 and 1980. As you can imagine, rental cars tenuously proliferate in the face of the growth of the auto industry. And by that, I mean, the more people get cars, the more like of a market that you have, because the more people can drive cars. However, the more people get cars, the less people actually need rental cars. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah. So it's like a tenuous balance in this growth. It's like a Swiss cheese situation. I'm with you. Right. (laughs) But um, the rental car industry becomes intrinsically then tied to the airline industry. For reasons mentioned before, when people are stranded somewhere, then they really need a car. Um, because they've traveled far enough where like it's not by their own car. Mm. Uh, and as the, uh, um, I just did an episode about Southwest where I talked about the uh, growth of the airline industry. Oh yeah, and all that shit that went down. Yeah, did you listen to it? You don't. You don't have to say yes. I promise you, you're still my friend. If you said I listened to it so many times, I listened to it three times. <laughs> so if you have missed the Southwest episode for the <laughs> listeners who didn't listen, um, basically the airline industry is. Uh, so so linked to the federal government like because air travel is so dangerous and new and 
the skies don't have roads in them. We initially started basically the airline industry to be like completely federally regulated and not as like a thing of private businesses to do. That has changed over time, but whatever. As a result, the airline industry and the federal government are very closely linked. And, you know, when airlines fail, the government will typically bail them out. That is not true of the rental car industry. So when airlines fail, the government like is there for them. But when airlines fail, the rental car industry also fails. And then there's like no net under there. Do you understand? Yeah, I'm with you. Okay, cool, cool beans. Which actually makes sense because this last summer, or not summer, this last Christmas we were talking about when like people were renting and like got all stranded because of the weather. Yeah. That was literally such a thing because that's where I've heard most recently of people having like rental car issues is because they're flight got canceled or they got stranded and then they couldn't rent a car or they reserved a car but then there was no car there for them nobody held the reservation nobody held the reservation (laughs) (laughs) so that's all i'll say between 1923 and like 1980 now it's time to talk about 1980 and i feel bad for even including this section in the first place and i'm going to tell you why i'm including it I listened to a podcast that was the worst fucking thing I've listened to in my entire life. And I feel like a duty of care to like <laughs> have a podcast that in- involves the following content that we're about to discuss that like is done responsibly, I guess. Mm. Okay, so in the 1980s, Hertz launches this wildly successful ad campaign encouraging like business travelers to rent cars with Hertz. It's part of the reason why they get such a dominant market share of the rental car industry is this ad campaign. The ad was of this really athletic guy like dashing through airports and he gets like a speedy service with Hertz and whatever. The athletic guy was actually a celebrity football player whose name is O.J. Simpson. Um, <laughs> who is dun, dun, dun. O.J. Simpson is like the Where's Waldo of this podcast. He's appeared in like four episodes. <laughs> Anyways, O.J. Simpson's campaign with Hertz and the subsequent catchphrase in their commercials, Go O.J. Go, like that was a popular thing, whatever. It's not insignificant in the company's history. Again, it's like a very big period for growth mm. for them. Um, here's the thing. I listened to this podcast that was called The Great Fail, and I'm going to straight up call it out. It is like Gee, a... Is I a, literally hoped you were going to do that. Yeah, it's a quote, true crime inspired business podcast. And I was like, oh, that's kind of the similar purview that I'm under. Oh, they have an episode about Hertz. I'm going to do one. Like, let's see if there's useful information here or some, like a different way of looking at stuff. And the episode begins with a gratuitous description of a domestic violence incident between Nicole Brown Simpson and OJ, um, where afterwards, like, they both called an executive at Hertz because, like, OJ was, like, their spokesperson for years and years. Like, he became good friends and, like, obviously had a lot of financial interest in Hertz as a company and, like, being employed by them. Mm -hmm. Um, So after this domestic violence incident, they both, like, separately called an executive at Hertz and they were both like, it wasn't a big deal. Please don't fire him, basically. Um, Like, (laughs) retired NFL players famously go broke after years. Mm. Um, So we have this, like, very cushy job. It's not a big deal. Please don't say anything. Whatever. The podcast, again, starts out with this gratuitous description of the incident as, like, and then they called a Hertz executive. (laughs) And then, like, the rest of it is, like, it's told like a gross murder documentary, even though like none of the information presented like connected with Hertz at all. Hmm. Like Hertz then kept Simpson on as a spokesperson for like the couple years leading up to the murder. You know what I mean? You can say something about like the company's decision to do that or what that says about, you know, how domestic violence continues to go. Da, da, da. What is disgusting and morally questionable, shall we say, is using it as like a tie into your episode that has hardly anything to do with any of those topics. Yeah. It was just like a basic history of Hertz, which was ripped directly from Wikipedia, I will say, <laughs> which I am a conscientious objector to just reading from Wikipedia. Um, 
And so I was so pissed off <laughs> that like this is another podcast that's in a similar purview of mine that I was like, I'm going to go on my podcast just to hate on it. It was also sonically disgusting because they would talk about things like, and then like, Hertz gobbled up like a smaller corporation. Then it had like a swallowing sound. Oh, no. No, 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 no. no. We didn't no, need no, that. No, 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 We no. didn't need that. You you know what you don't need in a podcast about Hertz? Onomatopoeias. That's what you don't need. <laughs> I just did one. Thanks for that. You just did a little spit take when I just said I didn't want to hear gobbling noises. You want to just repeat the word moist and tenderloin a few times until I melt into the floor? <laughs> Anyway, back to Hertz Rental Car Company. <laughs> After these messages. I think the listeners should know that Meg and KP are like best friends. <laughs> and I knew, I knew this is going to be like whatever when I included you in this episode. Okay, so that is what I wanted to say. Like, I'm not a true crime podcast. I think it's disrespectful and whatever to use that for content. Yeah, that's pretty rough. I think it also, like, isn't great if you're not going to do that in a way that highlights, like, so this is how, like, capitalism supports domestic violence without calling it out or, like, blah, 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 and how that relates to, like, sexual assault in another area where people, like, you know, there's a way to do that. Right. And if that's not what your podcast is, then, like, don't do that. Yeah. And, and, yeah. Who's the guy who does the spokesperson for Subway? Jared Fogle. No, no, no. The one that was from the 2000s. That's Jared Fogle. No, no, no. He was wearing the jeans and he pulls Meg, I'm going crazy. His name is Jared Fogle. <laughs> no, it was somebody else. Like, do you... <laughs> no, it wasn't like... <sighs> he lo- Jared Fogle lost a lot of weight and then was outed as a pedophile. That's what you're talking about? Oh my gosh. I thought it was... um. Michael Phelps. Didn't Michael Phelps do something Michael for Subway? Phelps is a swimmer. Yes, and he did something for Subway. I'm sure, but he's in peak physical condition. He's never lost weight with Subway. He well, like, no one's lost weight with Subway. I mean, period. <laughs> but he's like a, he's an Olympic athlete. Okay, he was who I was thinking of. The reason we got here is because you were talking about O.J. Simpson and the connection to the... No, no, no. Don't look both ways. This has a very... <laughs> this is very connected. Did I fall into a K-hole? <laughs> literally, I was just thinking about athletes who are spokespeople for... Anyway, it was Michael Phelps. Okay, but you were doing the thing with the pants. I know, I know. I can see the pants. I can see the pants. But Michael Phelps was the answer that I was the, to the question that I didn't tell you, but was in my head. And so why you didn't get it, I don't know. I said it in non-verbal English. So, <laughs> Hertz Rental Car Company. <laughs> okay, one last thing about this era. <laughs> From like 1980 to 2005. That's the era I'm talking about right now. Okay. The main reason that I could find of Jerry Seinfeld's issue in that episode is that the business model for rental car companies is by nature tenuous in that it relies on airlines being successful, blah, 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 blah. The reason why car rentals are always giving you that runaround is because it's more profitable to overbook and underdeliver rather than underbook. Which is crazy because isn't it the same way with um, airline-like seats? Right. Exactly. That it's like makes more sense for them, assuming that some people won't show up. Exactly. And typically, though, with airlines, like you are already in the building where more planes are going to show up. And then like there will be another plane in like an hour or whatever. Uh, that's not, Did you just smell the microphone? Yeah, because I swear it smells like liquor and it's like making me sick from being hungover. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? It likely does. I was sitting there last week. <laughs> so this is your fault. That's probably my fault. <laughs> anyway, um. So it is more profitable. Also, airlines, again, like another plane is going to show up at some point at that airline. Because generally, like, again, we have four airlines now um, that are running 
flights on a fairly consistent basis. When you don't have cars at the lot, like those cars could be anywhere. Yeah. And they're not like by definition going to show up because people are late. People are, you know, give you the runaround or whatever. They also may not return to that location. Exactly. You don't have like an input and output. Uh Uh-huh. It's not like always going to be the same input output. So it just makes more financial sense to overbook, again, under deliver. And then uh, people are sort of stranded where... Uh, they need a car and so they're more willing to just like pay an exorbitant fee to have some sort of thing on wheels extortionists period that's what I'm saying not for nothing but selling upgrades to customers in vulnerable positions who are literally trapped is kind of a dope business model (laughs) 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 there's nothing better for a business than a captive audience Um, yeah so I I recognize that this is like a simple I guess answer to a I assume kind of complicated question or maybe it's not that complicated but like yeah that's why (laughs) They suck. <laughs> but that's like, you see that everywhere. Like, that was in, like, Upton Sinclair's The Jungle, you know? Like, the right. YF, the FDA came into a thing. It was like, if you don't have any other choice on where to go, which is also why we need to mm-hmm. stop supporting monopolies. Right. Um, and we should all read Antitrust by Amy Klobuchar. <laughs> <laughs> that brick I shoved in your face earlier. <laughs> so what's happened over time, though, is that they're getting more, like, cars rentals are getting more expensive. Companies have literally less cars, a problem exacerbated by the pandemic. Mm. Um for an industry that's already built on overbooking in the first place. You know, like, it's just getting worse and worse. Um, I'm getting ahead of myself, though. I want to talk about Hertz's jump into its, like, private equity era. Uh, And it ends in suing several top executives, (laughs) including its former CEO. A business suing its old employees is nuts. That Mm. never happens on this podcast. (laughs) So, this is <laughs> we're like on this podcast. Like, I, mean, I thought you were gonna be like in the world well, or the economy. There that we went very <laughs> micro. Uh, this is the Mark Frisora era. I want to ask you a question: Is he hot or not? Oh no! <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no. <laughs> I am not into the like daddy thing. Yeah, vote online. Um, I'm hot or not? Definitely gonna put in a, a picture on Instagram. I haven't done that in my podcast in a while. Is like show a CEO and be like, is he sexy though? <laughs> You know, but there are some. Like, who's the guy, um, Tres X, the, like, liquor brand, yeah. Three Xs? Uh-huh. I actually don't know if he's the CEO. I think he may just be the spokesperson. But, like, that Silver Fox? Mm, yeah, you know I what I'm talking about? that's an actor. Oh, damn it. No wonder he's sexy. <laughs> <laughs> that's in the job description. <laughs> I'm trying to think if now, if I can think of a sexy CEO. Um, Charles Ponzi. Who's he the CEO of? He was, well, of uh, the original Ponzi like, oh, scheme. as in Sponzi scheme? <laughs> yes, the Ponzi. He okay, was, but he I was feel like fuck. con artists can be sexy. Like oh, that's very yeah. like uh, Ocean's Eleven-y. Right. I got to think about a sexy CEO. It's you know the he's not sexy, but he kind of has that like silver fox. I wouldn't be surprised if my mom thought he was hot type of thing. <laughs> kind of like uh, George Clooney. Okay, like he was hot in his day, but now like I'm not attracted to George Tell Clooney. Me. But um, the CEO of um, uh, Patagonia. Dan White. No, yeah. not Dan White. Is that his name? I don't know. Let's I see. just said yes. I was Patagonia really I was really eager CEO. to confirm. I feel like no, it's not Ryan Geller. Dan. I'm gonna say Dan. Oh, Dan Price. I said Dan White. That's a Chicago comedian. <laughs> it's Dan Price. Um yeah, that's who you're talking about. Yeah, not hot for me, but like if my mom said that she'd hit that, I I'd accept it. <laughs> Be like, Mom. I really hope my mom doesn't listen to this episode. <laughs> She's already tuned out by minute two. Yeah, I was about to say. <laughs> Mark Fischera becomes CEO of Hertz in 2005. His Wikipedia page is actually hysterical because I'm pretty sure it's line for line ripped from his resume. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to read it to you. Again, every single piece of information that's in this first search result when you look at his time at Hertz. Like, this is 
the information that is given to the public. And I apologize, it's going to be boring, so you don't have to remember anything I'm about to tell you. Cool, because I already have an idea for a new podcast game show segment. I should totally do. Tell me. Uh, tell me before I get into this boring thing. Okay, I think you should do, you should read a line and someone has to guess if it's that from that person's dating profile or their LinkedIn page. <laughs> <laughs> like, is it a humble brag or is it like actually part of their career development? Yeah, that's great. I right, that. right. But you should totally pick people who are like investment bankers because you know they're the type of people that are talking about their career on a right. dating app. Right. Anyway, continue. In July 2006, Freshora accepted a position as CEO of the Hertz Corporation, a global American headquartered car rental company, on the eve of the company's initial public offering. In January 2007, Freshora was subsequently appointed chairman. He oversaw the company through a number of major transitions, which already is getting on Wikipedia e. That summer, Hertz offered discounts on gasoline and other fees in order to make car rentals more customer-friendly and affordable. Freshora oversaw the acquisition of Donlin Corporation, blah, 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 blah. Um, it kind of goes on like this. I said I was going to read you the whole thing, but my eyes are glazing over. <laughs> um, Freshora credited both the Donlin and Dollar Thrifty acquisitions with enabling Hertz to broaden current market reach and providing exposure to new markets via leasing, fleet management, consulting, and managing fleet acquisitions and dispositions more efficiently. That is straight up out of a resume. <laughs> That's not... Yeah, no, 100%. Um, so then this next section is called Hertz Expansion 2013-2014. In May 2013, Freshora announced that Hertz would relocate to Estero, Florida from New Jersey, with the new building to combine staff from both the Dollar Thrifty and Hertz. The relocation was to be completed in 2016. By November 2013, Hertz was the largest publicly traded rental car operator in the United States. Hertz stated revenue increases of 34% and up to $10.8 billion between 2006 and 2013. By that time, worldwide car rental revenues went up 37% to $8.7 billion. U.S. off-airport locations doubled. Revenues increased by 45%. It's all these like percentages. It's whatever. In the summer of 2014, activist investors at Hertz asserted that they lacked confidence in management due to reported, quote, accounting mistakes and internal control issues. Consequently, activist investors pushed for broad or for board and management replacements, including for Shora. Citing personal reasons, he resigned as CEO, chairman, and director on September 8th, 2014. Freshora officially left the role in November that same year. Hertz reported Freshora's departure as without cause. Dang. It's like when politicians are like, I want to spend more time with my family. Right. <laughs> right. AKA, so, you slept with your secretary. <laughs> so, what do you get out of what just happened in that last paragraph? It's okay. Uh, got I got so like the wide. numbers, like things got bigger and the guy left. And the guy left. That, right? That's all you get. So what really happened here? Tea. I'm so excited to tell you. So the thing is, I thought there would be a controversy page on Mark Freshora's Wikipedia, but there is no such thing. Even though he is one of the main people in like Hertz's lawsuit against its former top executives. Mm. Um, Mark Freshora's payment of Hertz, like as CEO or chairman or whatever, by virtue of it being financed the way it was, is that he gets incentives and bonuses for his performance. Like that's like a thing that anyone would be familiar with. When the shareholder value increases, so too does his paycheck. So when in 2019, the Securities Exchange Commission concluded that Hertz had been engaging in fraudulent business practices for the entirety of the time he was there, things got a little awkward. <laughs> I love how it was the entire time. It wasn't like a blip, a blemish, a once or twice. He was no. like, no, from the get-go, this was my business model. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. 
Quote, according to the SEC's order from February 2012 through March 2014, at least, Hertz's public filings materially misstated pre-tax income because of accounting errors made in a number of business units over multiple periods. In July 2015, Hertz restated its financial results for prior periods, identifying 300, or I'm sorry, 235 million in previously reported pre-tax income based on treatment items. (laughs) (laughs) The SEC's order finds that inaccurate reporting occurred in a pressured corporate environment that placed improper emphasis on meeting internal budgets, business plans, and earnings estimates. This is like a press release way of saying that basically during his tenure as the Hertz uh, chairman or whatever, Mark Vershora would basically just be like, our numbers are supposed to be here. Like, I'm gesturing up. <laughs> but they're here. So can we do She's some... She's gesturing down. I'm gesturing down. <laughs> For our audio audience. Can we do some creative accounting to make it back up here? Fudge the books. Fudge the books. Cook them good. Ooh, delicious. Saute that. <laughs> get, a, get a nice little um, uh, cheese fondue. What, what goes in cheese fondue? I have no idea. I was already going to make a joke about Hell's Kitchen, but you go. <laughs> no, you should have done your thing. I interrupted your bit for a bit incomplete. <laughs> it's fine. Quote, for example, the lawsuit says when Freshora learned that Hertz might miss a financial target, he would, quote, repeatedly berate subordinates who did not come up with a sufficient number of paradigm-busting accounting strategies to fill the gaps between Hertz's actual and expected performance, accusing them of not being team players if they didn't play the game. (laughs) Have you seen Glass Onion, the sequel to Knives Out? I've not even seen Knives Out. I don't watch things. Okay, I might leave. No. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, step one, you have to watch them. They are so good. Quality cinema. Love, love. Um, one of the whole premises, spoiler alert, okay. huge spoiler alert, sure. um, of Glass Onion is that it's a CEO of this tech company, kind of Jeff Bezos. Okay. Um, but basically, they find out that this guy is actually like who they've revered as this genius who came up with this huge tech company. It's actually an idiot who's sure. just like copying what other people say, demanding, like mm. writing random things down on pieces of paper and giving them to people He's to like, just like figure me. it out. <laughs> He's just like me for real. Now, he would be a good LinkedIn or dating profile game. Right. But he literally like writes random things like dog collar leash app like whatever and then is like make it happen um and it turns out yeah he's a total idiot so that totally reminded me of that that he's like "Mm, make it make money like there's no strategy right it's like ooh, we didn't hit our targets can you do some uh paradigm busting account yeah that's my favorite (laughs) paradigm busting is fucking awesome (laughs) this resulted this is continuing the quote oh sorry the table's kind of loud when you like touch oh no uh, i hit the mic which is why it was loud all right this resulted in an environment the complaint says that led to, quote, inappropriate accounting decisions and the failure to disclose information critical to an effective review of Hertz's finances. You're kidding. I, I can't <laughs> believe it. It also, I didn't write this down, and I feel like an idiot for writing this down, but basically, like, at some point, uh, a car depreciates in value, right, over time. Sure. That's, you understand what all those words mean? I don't need to explain that. Yeah, I lease my car, so I'm very familiar. So... Hertz basically has like a, a time period where they're they're willing to lease out a car, let's say up to like 150,000 miles. Um, part of for sure strategy was just like increasing that to 200,000 miles, let's say, and this, these are not exact numbers, and just not telling shareholders. <laughs> 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 so they would get the car for longer, but like not inform the people who need to be informed about yeah. the thing, whatever. Consequently, Hertz sued Freshora and other executives in excess of $200 million. Oh my gosh. This has not concluded yet, and this is probably going to go on for years, because this started 2019. Absolutely no way it's going to be done anytime soon. I need to emphasize how uncommon this is in the business world. Usually when an executive fucks something up, especially this badly, people are not quick to be suing the most rich and powerful people in the world. <laughs> and actually, the fact that we have to like pay lawyers to do stuff is like one of the key barriers uh, to justice mm-hmm. in this country. So, like... 
part of the reason, right, is that it is so expensive to sue people for the money that you're trying to get back. Yeah. So you just burned the money trying to get your damn money back. And mm-hmm. it's like, for what? He's not going to go to jail for this. Like, what they want is his incentive pay, right? Like, the reason that his paychecks always go up is because the company was doing well. They're like, well, the company actually wasn't doing well. So give it back. <laughs> so give us the money back. So that's like the whole basis for the lawsuit. It's probably going to be never ending. And people are going to spend the prime, the prime of their adult lawyer lives <laughs> having to litigate this shit. Although they're going to get paid very handsomely to do that. I mean, yeah, good for them. Uh, Meg, how are we doing? We're doing good. Yeah. We're hanging in. Fan- fantastic. Uh, this is, I wrote part 3.5 for whatever reason. Uh, this you have is subsections for this. I do. <laughs> I've been starting to write emails the same way that I write my Busted Business Bureau scripts, which I'm sure people find very alienating. How so? I, like random words are bolded so like that I see them because um, I didn't want to forget. There's like sections, subheadings, then part A, then part I. You know, like. Have you ever read the book Smart Brevity by Axos Founders? I have never heard I'm of I'm going to buy you a copy. All right. <laughs> This is car- it's part 3.5, the toll thing and the exchange rate thing. I'm going to speed run through two major lawsuits that people spent, again, years of their lives litigating. This is the first one is Moretti versus Hertz. In 2013, litigation was filed against Hertz and Hotwire, but that doesn't matter. I don't know why I include that. The lawsuit alleged that Hertz advertised the cost of renting a car in Mexico without advertising or without advising customers of the alleged mandatory insurance for Mexico-based rentals. Oh. This lawsuit also alleged that customers were charged an inflated exchange rate when converting U.S. dollars to the Mexican peso. Hertz denies the allegations and denies all liability, obviously. But basically, in 2012, this guy, I think his name's, uh, that's something Moretti, I think it's like Eric Moretti, uh, got a car in Mexico, was very surprised to find that his bill was double what it was supposed to be. And so instead of just paying, uh, you know, the extra 600 bucks or whatever, he was like, I'm going to spend uh, the better part of 10 years litigating <laughs> <laughs> And That's such a dad move. <laughs> That's like, <laughs> I refuse to pay the extra $2 charge to have avocado on my sandwich. I would like to spend the next six hours talking to your management service <laughs> yeah. about how they shouldn't be doing this. So Hertz denied like everything. Oh, of course they did. So they literally pulled like a shaggy, it wasn't me. <laughs> <laughs> That's... <laughs> That's how they wanted to play this. Millions right. of dollars, Ivy League education. They just went with Snoop Dogg. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's in the text of our cultural text. That's all you have to look to. Um, yes, basically, this winds up becoming like a class action lawsuit. It was just Moretti that started it, but then it was like, damn, this is a whole class of people who are being overcharged for like these like you know uh, Mexican trips. Uh, so this lawsuit concludes in I want to say 2019 or 2020. And there's a settlement fund of, like, a million dollars that's distributed to everybody who had ever taken a trip between, like, 2006 and 2014 or something like that. Hot. So it's like, sure, a million dollars, that's nothing. (laughs) Yeah, it's true, especially when distributed against that many people. Right. So it's like, if you charge an inflated price for renting a car in a different country, what are the odds somebody's going to spend the better part of 10 years litigating that shit? How many times can you get away with that? And Hertz has like uh, locations in China. They have like locations all over the world. Mm, so they're playing the scam international. Yeah, I, I alleged not. It's not necessarily. But <laughs> wouldn't it fit the business model if you were? Mm. Like it's at some point cheaper to do the wrong thing and get caught than it is to do the right thing. America. And that's the running theme for this next one. Um, this next bit of uh, class action lawsuity lawsuits. Hertz customers were unwillingly purchasing the supposedly optional toll service plate pass when they're driving like California across the Golden Gate Bridge. They're paying up to $24.75 in extra fees, including fees charged for every day of the car rental, even if you didn't cross the Golden Gate Bridge. Mm. So like you were charged for this like, um, it's like basically an easy pass. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. 
uh, for across Golden Gate Bridge. For many customers, that meant paying more than $30 to cross the bridge one time. You wow. know, like throughout the rental, if you're paying twenty four seventy five, you only cross it once. You've paid $24.75 to cross the fucking bridge. The lawsuit also compelled Hertz and its business partner, American Traffic Solutions, to halt their nationwide practice of charging toll service fees for every day of the car rental, even when it's not used. Hertz now charges the fee only on days where the service is used, not the entirety of the rental period. That change alone has already saved customers millions of dollars since it took effect nationwide just over a year ago on February 1st, 2018. If you're a lawyer, like think about this from the lawyer's perspective, are you going to really spend the better part of your prime litigating time over a minute customer protection thing about like a toll pass? Mm. In this case, yes. But can you imagine how many of these similar things don't make it onto the desks? Or when they do make it onto a desk, it's like, who cares? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so fundamentally, you will get more money, if you're a rental car company in this case, out of scamming people and also getting caught than not scamming at all. Because imagine how many times you can get away with this. Imagine how much you can make that's, you know, maybe you, you give this much of it back. I'm gesturing small. <laughs> <laughs> you realize this is an audio medium, right? <laughs> it's the second time you had to... Describe your gestures. <laughs> I will never be good at having a podcast. I refuse to be good at it. Um, you hopefully shouldn't build an entire business off of this, but there's a luxury of being a business that's at this massive scale. You have a team of lawyers. You have decades of corporate history. You have a Kafka-esque and opaque reporting system for unhappy customers who don't understand that they're all like in the same class of people who are getting scammed. So if you think I'm only talking about tolls and exchange rates here, you'd be wrong, but I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm on the edge of my seat. Okay, shit. This is called part four stonks. <laughs> and I'm so sorry to be explaining this in such detail, but this is what took the majority of my writing time for this episode uh, because I don't understand how stocks work and I did not understand when like that GameStop thing was happening. Are you familiar? Yes. Okay, great. So I spent so much time researching why that happened because it also happened to Hertz basically is the headline here oh interesting also I did not know you said stocks I thought you said stonks I did say stonks oh okay good (laughs) I feel better I was admittedly a little bit more excited for like stonks I'm (laughs) like that's what they're called right how are you gesturing (laughs) do I own this podcast have I done a <laughs> the like you know medieval thing you go in the stocks oh i think those are called stocks also. yeah well i i played like i don't know if you're familiar with the game salem it's oh, like a yeah. board game where you have to try and find the witch or whatever right. and if you get put in the stocks you have to like you skip your turn oh. so whenever my friends and i play and somebody gets staunch you have to go, like snarks anyway <laughs> i thought that's what you said and i was really excited to figure out how this Right. Suing this car company ended up with people in stocks, and now I'm a little disappointed, I'll be honest. Damn, I'm sorry. I will put my rotten tomatoes away. <laughs> <laughs> my pitchfork will go back in the closet. <laughs> okay, thank- I appreciate that. <laughs> when we're entering 2020, Hertz is in the middle of a Chapter 11 bankruptcy. Because famously, when a global pandemic happens and halts all passenger travel, um, you know, you stop making money. Um, I've certainly implied before on the podcast that I understand what Chapter 11 bankruptcy is. However, (laughs) I forgot. (laughs) So I guess I'm going to re-explain what it means. When you enter Chapter 7 bankruptcy, that's like the popular conception of what bankruptcy is. Like, you're selling all your shit out of Radio Shack, you're going out of business, there's no more your company. When you file for Chapter 11 bankruptcy, it's technically a reorganization plan with the goal of continuing to run your company. This is confirming my decision not to go to law school. (laughs) I love that for you. (laughs) 
No, I could have done a lot of research on what it means to reorganize debt, but again, I spent way too much time on the stock thing. Uh, so, and also, I was already drunk when I was writing this. So, it's just notable it's that very a- coherent for being drunk. Really, you're like a natural Hemingway. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that. that's actually so deeply touching because he also wrote all of his shit drunk. I know. <laughs> so, a lot of companies can come back from Chapter Eleven bankruptcy. Uh, Six Flags, that's been talked about in this podcast before, that came back from Chapter Eleven. I think I mentioned reemergence of a chapter. 11 in the Adelphia episode as well. So circling back, May it's May 2020. Hertz is on the ropes. We've been making no money for months. Um, and also all the problems listed before of like overbooking, underpromising, underdelivering. The cars are <laughs> older than they should be because of Mark Vashora. You is know that I mean? parking lot I parked in free parking? Yeah. Oh, excellent. Yeah. Um, and I'm convinced that on Friday and Saturday nights when there's concerts there that it's not free parking. However, yesterday night I did park there and I didn't get towed. Okay. Well, if I get towed and have to rent a car... I'm coming for you. <laughs> <laughs> so the global pandemic doesn't do them any favors on top of nobody traveling. So um, here's the thing. The thing that happened to GameStop. Actually, no. I'm starting with a basic lesson on stocks before I get to where I'm going. But basically, we're in Chapter 11 bankruptcy. That's like the curtain here. Lesson on stocks. One, what is a stock and why do we have them? I was going to get into character. Okay. I am chapter 11 bankruptcy. <laughs> there are entire books explaining what the stock market is and also understand please that I'm a 25-year-old podcaster who is a bartender. <laughs> like this is probably going to be at a tenuous at best understanding of this centuries-old financial instrument. But a stock is a little piece of ownership in a company. Why do we have them? Let's say you turn your zine they call us. Oh fuck. Did you ever say your name on this podcast? <laughs> Hi, my name is Meg. <laughs> But let's say you turn They Call Us into an LLC or whatever. I it, still didn't explain what They Call Us was. Uh, it's a zine. I, I mean, it's been explained on the podcast before. Um, oh, yeah, you already had KP on. Right. Uh, copy, paste, retweet. Go. Right. If you get to the point where demand is outmatching supply, like people really, really want these zines, you'd have to expand. Maybe you'd buy a printing warehouse or an ink supplier or whatever, a creative studio for your artists um, or all those things. You, KP, and Morgan may not have the money to match your growth plans. And you can't just like sell more of it because you literally can't make more of it. Because you don't, you know what I mean? Um, so what companies do in this case is they go public. Uh, they sell little pieces of the company to acquire capital and keep expanding. That's not the only reason you would go on the stock market, but like that's one of the reasons. Are, is this making sense? Do you understand? Honey, I'm a finance writer. Holy shit, I forgot. <laughs> I forgot you're a finance writer. No, but explain. You know, the audience may not know. So I'm here. I'm listening. I'm learning. Um, I might need to listen and learn from you. Is this accurate so far? <laughs> I'm with you, yes. Okay. <laughs> I do work more specifically in private capital, but yes. Sure. This is a ridiculous example because there are no zines that are publicly traded, but I just love making things girly for like, <laughs> the explanation. Um, so this like similar thing happens for like Amazon or Apple or even the New York Times. The New York Times is a widely distributed enough to necessitate being a, comp- a public company. You dig? Yep. So point one, put so simply, when companies need more money, basically, they go on the stock market. That's, again, it's not the only reason, but it's a reason that I can understand in my 25-year-old girl brain. So two, buying a stock. The main understanding most non-financial people have of stocks is the following. You buy a share of Apple stock in 2002 in the hopes that the little tech company is going to do well for itself. Your little piece of the company will increase in value over time as the company does better. Kind of like the ticket price for a Lady Gaga concert. Mm-hmm. This is how I've understood it in my head. If it was 2006, you could buy a Lady Gaga concert ticket for like $10 because she wasn't famous. And now you're paying in the hundreds of dollars because her value has gone up. And there's limited seating in a you know stadium or whatever that she's playing. Beyonce and Destiny's Child versus Beyonce now. Right. So you are paying much more money to watch Beyonce now um, than you did 10 years ago. Worth it. Much of the, Right. 
<laughs> such as the state with stocks, or at least that's the hope. For example, an Apple share in 2002 is $23, an Apple price in 2023 is $129. So, you know, the goal then is that you sell your share and you've made money on the deal. As you can imagine, this formula for making money has a high barrier of entry. If you buy literally only one share of stock in Apple, you're not making, you're not seeing that money in your fucking lifetime. You know what I mean? Like inflation is probably outmatched yeah. what you've made <laughs> on your stupid stock. But you have a thousand Apple shares, and you do the exact same example that I had. You make a hundred six thousand dollars. Oh, funny story. Yeah. One of my high school, like one of the history teachers in my high school, everybody was talking. They're like, yeah, yeah, yeah this is history teacher, whatever. Anyway, um, they were talking about how they'd never like. He's such a good teacher and he's really good at what he does, but he always has a bunch of free time. Like he does all the after school activities. He yeah. does all he's the coach to all the stuff. So everybody was like, you know, what type of teacher has all this time? Teachers are grotesquely overworked. Right. Um and then it came out that actually he bought Apple stock in like the nineteen nineties and is like or nineteen eighties and is like super fucking rich. And that's <laughs> and he and I have to say I commend him for being rich as all get out and deciding to spend his time being a quality history high school teacher. Oh. We need more people like that, but I just love that that's the reason he was here <laughs> what it's because he like randomly bought apple stock in college i guess and like bought a bunch of it and made a shit ton of money and so he's like yeah sure i'll be the faculty person for the debate team like that i have time my mouth is agape isn't it insane <laughs> that's the best story i've ever I heard know. and this is my public call to all wealthy people to spend your time being teachers go be a get, history teacher get trained first don't just pretend you can be a teacher but right. like <laughs> that's that or go like help a nerd you know like go do something productive <laughs> go be a, like a nurse's like like literal scheduling assistant yeah literally <laughs> like if you could like babysit for a single mother or something right. like spend your time wisely <laughs> stop making foundation did you take his class i did not i did not damn uh, i know i tried to like once i found that out i tried to like side get to know him because i was like that's fun but uh i know and there's no like non-creepy way to side get to know a teacher um okay i was gonna out myself on the podcast i was like i'm friends with a teacher from high school oh i have gone to a teacher's wedding like i am very oh, okay. good friends but only with the teachers i've had i see yeah i guess that's that's true there's no way to become friends with a teacher that you did not take unless <laughs> you were like you know i wasn't on the debate team otherwise that right. could have been my end that's insane that you weren't on the debate team you have such debate girl energy oh thank you you're welcome i decided not to go to law school <laughs> for the reason summarized in the last 10 minutes of this podcast right. so additionally this is like a basic relatively like positive understanding of how the stock market works you know um but let's say apple ceo is like a huge scandal or like people actually start caring about the horrific working conditions of uh, people in foxconn or apple stock like falls dramatically and you lose money um that's why you would lose money right uh, if something something like that happens so do you know what short selling a stock is no, tell me. Yes. Okay. So there's many ways to interact and make money off the stock market that are not what I just told you. It's incredibly convoluted, and I only have like my 25 year old girl analysis, very fake, whatever. But there's one complicated. Girl analysis are good analyses. Yes. <laughs> An analyze like a girl. <laughs> there's one complicated way that people can make money off the stock market, which, again, um, begins by understanding that this is an activity for people who are already wealthy and already well-connected in the stock market. Like, that's point one you have to understand here. But short selling. This is a five-step process to bet against the stock market, okay? Uh, point one. Somebody already works at, like, a brokerage or a place that already owns a lot of stock and a lot of different things. Somebody then 
borrows stock from the brokerage. They've paid zero dollars to get it. They're just like, hey, I'm going to give this back in like a couple minutes. <laughs> I'll, I'll BRB. Be right Literally, I'll be right back. Uh, do you need your Apple stock? Like, I'm going to take them to the store. <laughs> so for zero dollars, they acquire, let's say, 100 Apple stocks with the premise or the promise of giving it back later. They sell their Apple stock for $10,000, whatever. It's a very rounded down thing of what it is today. Since they're all worth $100 a share, they sell um, they sell it and they make, they make $10,000, right? This is the most important part. Apple then has some sort of huge scandal. Like it's a, you know, the iPhones are exploding in people's hands, whatever. <laughs> um, Didn't they used to like bend in people's pockets? Yeah, I, that, that was a thing. I remember that. <laughs> so now like over the course of a weekend, it's gone to $20 a share. So then, remember the 100 shares we sold before? We can now rebuy all 100 shares for a measly $2,000 and just give it back to the person that we borrowed it from. Mm. So then you have made $8,000 on that deal. Oh. Do you understand? Yeah, I'm with you because you bought it. You sold it for higher than you bought it. Exactly. I'm literally thinking of the Schoolhouse Rock Little Pigeon. Do you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> no. Do you remember that? No. no, no, it's literally a thing. It's a Schoolhouse Rock. They have a whole episode about Wall Street and he sings the song and he's like, buy low, sell high, take a piece of the pie. That's the Wall Street way. Ooh. That's the, literally the song. You I love that You totally have to watch it. But he's sitting there like walking on the Wall Street sign. Has like a little hat. I actually don't know if he has a hat, but that is the song. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't he has, he's a pigeon, but he's got hands to like gesture with his hat. He's got wings. Have you never seen a cartoon? <laughs> Wings can barely do everything hands can That's do. That's very true. So then we return the 100 shares to the original owner, now pocketing the $8,000 that we've made. This took me like so long to understand. So if you're following me, that's great. Yeah. Everything I've learned about finance is that they have very complicated names for relatively simple concepts. Right. So why buy the shares back? Well, for one individual, you get that juicy 8K. But in some cases, Apple will likely recover from whatever thing has just happened, and then you'll at some point make money on those bonk-ass shares at some point in the future. Also, you know? don't you have to give them back? Right. You've, you also have to give them back. <laughs> <laughs> this is not true of every example, but that's short-selling in a nutshell. So, point four, meme stock. As explained before, the process of short selling is only really available to those who are well connected and have a deep understanding of the stock market to work with because they know that like Apple's going to have the scandal or like mm. this thing is going to drop in value or whatever. Generally, they have a good pulse on when something is going to plummet in value. And this isn't insider trading? No, it's not. In a way that's not insider trading. You gotcha. know, it's not like they've been called, you know, like the scandal's about to drop, you know. It's people who are like, "Oh, well, I can see these factors over time that like Oatly is on its way out, which Oatly is. Um, Oatly's out, girls." <laughs> And like I'm gonna sell, I'm gonna short sell a bunch of stock in it so I can like make money while it falls, you know. Sure. Um, so uh, you could look at, for example, a company that only physically sells games in malls and assume that when a global pandemic happens, the stock is going to drop, which is what GameStop is. So this is literally the only part of the stock thing that's going to be interesting. Large swaths of online communities have decided to collectively attempt to remove power from the stock market, like hires up powers that be who are making money short selling. So let's let's analyze GameStop as the example. In January of 2021, at the height of Omicron and after nearly a year of getting like their asses kicked by the pandemic, people were short selling the fuck out of GameStop and making bank doing it. A group of Reddit nerds all just got together and like bought a bunch of GameStop stock and what I didn't understand before, which I understand now, is how that literally inflates the price, like a bunch of people buying it. I did not understand before. Do you have an understanding of that? Or yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Please explain it to me. Well, because it's like when you buy a bunch of stock, it shows the stock has value, like right. people believe in it. It's basically like a investing version of hype. Yeah. Yeah. 
So I didn't understand the literal mechanism by which the number goes up because it's like, well, you can buy it all you want, but like literally who is pressing the button that like makes it higher? <laughs> like is there an old- Who has that little green tick button? <laughs> right. Is, is there like a little troll in a chair somewhere? It's like- Oz behind the curtain. <laughs> it's like, oh, people are buying GameStop. I guess it's like GameStop. <laughs> I guess it's worth more now. So the literal mechanism by which it goes up is that it's literally buyers, buyers and sellers on the stock market. Every single stock market number that you're seeing is an aggregate of thousands and thousands and thousands of like sales, right? You cannot sell anything on the stock market unless somebody's willing to buy it. Mm-hmm. And so when you see like a shit ton of people are buying GameStop stock, somebody will agree to like pay a dollar extra for it because it's becoming more valuable and it's in more demand or whatever. So like that's like the process of how it goes up and up and up over time, which again seems like a very pedantic basic thing to be explaining, but I just literally didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm with you. Okay, cool, 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 cool. Are we still talking about Hertz? We will. We haven't said the word hurts in a long time. We have not said the word hurts in a long time, but all of this, it's so dumb that I fell down this rabbit hole because like all of this happened to hurts, but I'm using GameStop as like the famous example because people like understand that and it was dumb. Oh, actually with the GameStop example. Yeah. So my younger sister used to own GameStop stock when she was like, because she wanted to learn about the stock market. My mom has Aww. a degree in finance. She's a very Cute. smart woman. Um, she was like, yes, my children should know about this. So she was like, I want to buy stock. And she was like, you can pick something you want to buy stock with. And so when all of this happened, my dad called my younger sister in a like frenzy and is like, how much stock in GameStop do you have? Like so excited. We're like, this is our moment. She was like, "Uh, GameStop was losing money. So I sold it. Damn it. Like six months beforehand. Fuck. I know. Right. I mean, who saw this coming? No, nobody. I mean, unless you're like really on r slash wall street bits <laughs> or tumblr because right. <laughs> it happened in both places <laughs> that is the gender spectrum it's r slash wall street bets and tumblr <laughs> that's gen z in a nutshell <laughs> so the major hedge funds that were short selling or in other ways like there's other ways to bet against a stock that than what i just described um they're literally losing like billions of dollars like that is what the fallout of this thing so um, thus, therefore, this whole thing is to say that that GameStop thing happened in January of 2021. The same thing happened in May of 2020 with Hertz. <laughs> it was not nearly as famous. It did not get as much coverage. But like a bunch of dorks got together and they were like, wouldn't it be funny? <laughs> we just jacked up the price of Hertz for no reason. Um so I have a hard time telling if it's like a coordinated Reddit effort or if it was like a random accident that like people just like started doing and then they were all like, are we all doing this? <laughs> um, but what happens when, um, wait, shit. Oh, I, I, I spent so long explaining the thing that I successfully explained to you because I just, maybe I was drunk when I was writing it and I still didn't understand. So I kept trying to write more. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, also... The last thing I'll say about this is like investing in meme stack or whatever. Somebody's going to lose, right? Somebody's going to join it at the height and then like the number doesn't go up anymore. It only goes down. Or someone joins. Have you hear about that thing that was like with Dogecoin? This is cryptocurrency, so mm-hmm. it's separate. But someone um, bought Dogecoin. They actually were totally interviewed by the New York Times, like the Daily Podcast. Uh-huh. Um, they bought Dogecoin for like $100 and I shit you not made $2 million <laughs> because they had it for so long and then like... I want to say Jeff Bezos, maybe it wasn't that person, but like literally posted on Tumblr was like to the moon. And it, Elon Musk, I believe, did that. Elon Musk, yeah. thank you. The other billionaires <laughs> um, did that and he made $2 million and this guy stayed in it too long. No. He didn't sell. They re interviewed him because they do like our top episodes, like where are they now type thing at the end of the year, which when I'm driving back home to DC, I like to listen to it. Yeah. Um, anyway, he literally didn't sell and lost like almost all of it. Oh. 
It was just heartbreaking. Apparently, after his episode came out, and he was like, Dogecoin is the future of American currency, blah, 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 blah. Everyone who listened to this episode was like commenting, like, please sell, tell this man to sell. Like, I beg right. of you. <laughs> he sounds like a good guy trying his best. Because he, like, you know, was like working and like, you know, just a regular average Joe trying to make enough money to like repair his car and like all this stuff. We were all like, I am begging you to sell. Oh, it hurts. It does hurt. Speaking <laughs> of hurts. <laughs> so, this huge influx of random cash is a blessing for a company saddled with unimaginable debt. Restructuring plus cash plus people going fucking nutty after May of 2020 and deciding the pandemic was over and like they're back to traveling. <laughs> um, rental cars come back in demand, meaning Hertz does emerge like a phoenix from the ashes <laughs> of Chapter 11 bankruptcy. God bless them. Um, and this is what is leading me into part five of the story. This is the final part, which is so dumb of me that I put this at the end because it's really, really sad. Oh. <laughs> um. I'm going to let The Guardian take us on a word journey here. Quote, on January 13th of 2021, a swarm of police officers with guns drawn suddenly surrounded Salima Lovelace in Plymouth Meeting, Pennsylvania, and asked the 45-year-old local community activist to exit the Nissan Sentra she was driving. Lovelace, a member of Philadelphia's 39th, 39th Police District Advisory Council, an organization that seeks to liaise between police officers and residents, was asked by police to roll down her windows and exit her car before she was placed in handcuffs and put in the police patrol car. Her elderly father was also in the car and was also detained by police. As Lovelace began hyperventilating in the patrol car, a police officer proceeded to tell her that they were responding to an auto theft call. The Nissan Sentra that Lovelace had been driving for half a year uh, after getting into a car accident, had been reported stolen by Hertz, the rental car company. But this was not true. Lovelace is one of the nearly 400 people who have filed claims against Hertz in recent years over false accusations against its customers of auto theft. The accusations have resulted in numerous false arrests at gunpoint, including that of a 13-year-old girl, and in some cases jail time for as long as seven months, according <gasps> to one customer. Do you remember when we were speed running through those smaller customer claims earlier, the tolls, the, um, what the fuck is it? Con uh, exchange rates. Yes. This, this strategy is one and the same. Reaping insurance benefits on lost or stolen cars, especially for a company that's constantly having its assets depreciate in value, is a solid chunk of change, especially in a company that has in the past been known to have um, creative accounting strategies. <laughs> <laughs> and so what emerges is an entire class of people who have been falsely imprisoned, like it like said in the fucking article, over Hertz just reporting these like not stolen vehicles stolen how do you like because i'm assuming when they rent these cars they have a renter's agreement mm -hmm. hertz literally will destroy them sometimes <gasps> it's who not would funny. fake a hertz renter well i guess somebody who stole a car i guess somebody stole a car <laughs> And that is absolutely terrifying. The Guardian continues, quote, in February, a Delaware bankruptcy court judge ordered Hertz, which declared bankruptcy in 2020, to publicize its data on theft reports that it had previously filed under seal. It was revealed that Hertz filed about files about 3,365 police reports every year on alleged car theft. That doesn't mean all of them are fake, but I mean, <laughs> based on the information provided, a substantial amount are fake. This article really goes into the specifics, but I want you to sincerely imagine, sincerely imagine the repercussions of being falsely imprisoned over like auto theft. You lose wages or your entire job. You lose time with your family. You lose credibility in your community. When you're actually in jail, as several people interviewed for this article were, you are subject to incredibly dehumanizing conditions. Your life will never be the same. And it's incredibly um, difficult to successfully sue for this sort of thing because you've already lost so much. Like, how do you come back from that? One woman in this story was paid $100,000 in damages, but really, was it worth it? No, not at all. 
I could have made the entire episode about this one story, but figure that this is the thing. Did you know about this? I did not know about this, and I'm you absolutely didn't? terrified. Being falsely imprisoned is one of my biggest fears. Really? I mean, I feel like it should be for anyone I mean, given our like prison system. Right. <laughs> and how often it happens to people. Mm-hmm. Absolutely terrifying. Mm-hmm. So this, like, again, I wanted to thematically paint the picture of, like, this is more successful for them to do and get caught than it is to just not do it. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Isn't Why that... not steamroll and ruin a couple people's lives? Right. It like their emotional costs, shall we say, are literally negligible in this situation. It like they can't, they can't sue you for being sad. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, so I, it's unclear how long this practice has been going on. It's unclear uh, like how intentional or not it is, how prevalent it is in the company. I assume that will come to light like the more this is litigated. Um, however, there was a settlement for these people. Like, And when you do a settlement, uh, literally that just like stops litigation. It's like, well, we'll pay you some sort of sum of money and then we're done here. So... I, again, could have made the entire episode about this, but a bunch of listeners, like, tagged me in this story, and they were like, you should do this. Mm. And so, for that reason, I was like, well, I'm going to do, like, other stuff people might not know about Hertz, and then, like, throw that at the end. But, again, that was really dumb writing, because now it's, like, this really depressing thing that, like, is ending the podcast. Anyways, in this hazy, piecemeal episode of Hertz, in which Hertz was, I guess, barely mentioned, (laughs) what has emerged for me is the conclusion that it is easier to make money doing the wrong thing. And that is that. And that's why we should lobby for more consumer protection laws. Yeah, right. Like, consumer protection is not sexy. People, like, paying more money for a car they rented is like... (laughs) But then, like, that's a slippery slope, right? Because then where are consumer protections for shit like going to jail for not stealing a car? I know. Even, like, beginning where we started on what laws were very recently passed for (laughs) safety inspection. That I'm like, where is the SEC? Like, where... (laughs) Right. Right. And so it's just like a continuing theme on the podcast of like where literally where's the SEC. <laughs> um, and that is quite literally like the end of the script that I have. How are you feeling? A little depressed. <laughs> <laughs> Remember how much fun we had talking about Jared Fogel? No. <laughs> Let's return to that. I feel like your podcast should now be like less of a podcast and more of like a consumer protection warning that you're like, here are all the companies that you should avoid and all the things you should look for when signing contracts. You know what? I've been very nervous to get into that territory because I I am no person to give advice on anything. (laughs) Like I'm not a journalist. I'm a popcorn entertainer. You know what I mean? Like I I can't get into the realm of actual advice because first of all, it's going to be wrong a lot. (laughs) Well, I feel like you could do like, you know, kind of like a warning thing of just Mm. like, hmm, have you thought about looking out for blank? Like, Mm. you know, for example, like when people ask for like part of their pensions to be like equity based. So they're like, I would actually like shares. That's just because someone said like, hey, you should look into shares. Mm. Like I watched a lot of like um, I have curly hair for this audio medium. And I watched a lot of like curly hair, like TikTok influencers or whatever. And a lot of them have said like you should look at your products to see if they have sulfates or because it'll do X, Y and Z to your hair. Or like, you know, Mm. you should see if water is the first ingredient. So it doesn't have to be like a whole you know do this, this or don't that do this or don't that or this is bad for health or business or whatever it's just kind of like hey maybe check mm. it's like maybe smell your milk before you put it in your coffee like that right. can be you <laughs> I, yeah i think asking questions is definitely like the the route that i would go because admittedly i don't have as much of a machiavellian approach to things i would not have thought that renting a car for hertz could end me in jail right <laughs> because i'd be turned in by hertz right. <laughs> so asking questions what um 
what most of the advice, and this is like the more like banal advice of running a car is like have a physical copy of your confirmation number, like document everything. And I mean everything. Document Ooh. like when you call th- people, whatever. Yeah. Even have like, yeah, customer like mm-hmm. support transcripts yeah. also probably having your bank statement of like if i'm right. going to steal this car why did i give them five hundred dollars right so that is like that's advice that i found online right for just whatever um but generally and this is advice i've given on the podcast before like if you're experiencing some sort of problem like always calling to ask um is what always like gets people further in court when they're litigating like i did an episode on like a really shitty um like drug that people were taking like a pharmaceutical drug and the people who got the furthest in court were the ones who called being like hey what are the side effects of this or like Mm. hey is there anything I should know about and then getting no answer they documented that and then like (laughs) you present that in court and you're like listen I called and you're gonna lose years of life anyway like (laughs) might as well make a phone call I don't know (laughs) I need to like buy an island and just go sit by myself anyone anymore (laughs) and you know what i also don't want to be nihilistic i trust people i trust my neighbors and i love living in the world (laughs) it's just like i don't know when it comes to business stuff you don't need to dress this up in like a gratuitous true crimey like a woman was beaten Mm -hmm. to like get people's interest in this because it's something that affects all of us and it's just like I don't know, things that you could be aware of. Yeah, it's true. We started on uh, being able to hold a reservation and now right. it's being able to like hold your self-respect and not go <laughs> to jail. <laughs> yeah, uh, what a journey this has taken. It really just, like went up and now it's like, and eh, we're done. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which I was actually kind of surprised. I mean, like I know car prices like probably went down, but when you kind of mentioned earlier when everyone like decided the pandemic was over, mm-hmm. I heard that rental cars or to rent a car or to buy a used car, the prices went up so high because people were oh, preferring to like, oh, okay, okay, okay. I'm with you, I'm with you. I thought just, that was the reason why Hertz was going down is because people stopped traveling. No, it, I mean, like, it was. Yes and no. Yes yeah. and no, yeah. Because like, like, quite literally, there was like less travel in February to May 2020, like enough to sure. plummet the company into bankruptcy. But like, yes, it was also more expensive. That's also, Elizabeth Warren like wrote a letter to Hertz being like, you guys were in bankruptcy last year and now you're like saying that you guys are doing really, really well. Do you think it's maybe because you're overcharging for the cars? <laughs> <laughs> Love like, her. <laughs> like, your cars are really, really expensive. And mm-hmm. this is just, like, what is standard in the industry? Because Hertz, Avis, and, like, Enterprise own something like 98% of the car rental industry. <laughs> you know what I mean? So that is what we're used to. And that is... Um, All circles back to you got to start trust busting. Right. No more monopolies. Right. Ah, trust busting. Do you got anything you want to plug on the way out? <laughs> Antitrust by Amy Klobuchar. <laughs> also link a couple of uh, free lawyer services and nonprofits below. Um, also, you uh, are uh, you're on They Call Us. You're, uh, I am on They Call Us. Uh, one of the co-founders. We have our newest edition. They don't call us. All about online dating coming out soon. Awesome. Uh, yeah, we th- we were a little too proud of that title. I'm gonna be honest. <laughs> I'm a part of the Coven on Patreon.com/slash They Call Us. Uh, yeah, I donate five dollars a month. So then oh, my patrons, I think, get a notification that it goes to yours <laughs> <laughs> that's really funny yeah. um but yeah anything else you want to plug on the way out social media or anything uh yeah we're i mean we're at they call a scene um i'm sure kp already did this but we do like additions that discuss gendered issues through art and media um so we love to have everyone and anyone submit uh we make up these big additions kind of uh just as a heads up because this has become confusing all of our titles are um deliberately negative we're Mm. supposed to be it's kind of a reclaimy thing so we've done like they call us flawed about beauty standards they call Mm -hmm. us witches about like okay that one was just about witches um but (laughs) (laughs) 
up. Um, so we'll have opening submissions soon for They Call Us Caddy in the next few weeks. Keep your eyes open. Cool beans. Oh, sweet. All right. Well, I have nothing to plug other than my own podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, I have a dueling piano show at the Lincoln Lodge. You can donate to patreon.com slash bustedbizbureau. Bang, bang. Uh, Monopoly. Let's go play. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. I actually, you can cut this out later if you want. This episode's supposed to finish. But um, there was, I was talking to this friend. Um, she's from Western Europe, and we were talking about kids' games. And I was telling her, I'm like, oh, we could play Monopoly, blah, blah, blah. And she was like, so it's literally all about beating each other to the businesses to the point of bankruptcy so that you own everything and everyone else has nothing. And we're like, I was like, I mean, yeah. And yeah. she's like, and you give this to children? <laughs> like, like, That's yes. America, baby. <laughs> it's called boot camp. They gotta be prepared. <laughs> Play Monopoly. Watch out for Hertz. <laughs> Short chase stocks. <laughs> All right, that's it. I'm cutting it there. <laughs> Play Monopoly is where we end. Yeah. 